If you would go to 1 Corinthians 3, we began, I guess a couple of weeks ago now, a, a new series for us that we're calling The God of Increase. The God of Increase. And our main texts here are in 1 Corinthians 3, also in Psalms 115. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, he said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You'll find that everything that God has done that we have any knowledge of operates on a seed basis. That is a divine principle. God creates a seed that has within itself the ability to uh, multiply and reproduce. And by his blessing in the right conditions, one becomes many. There was a time, we're told in Genesis, when there were there was only one human being on the planet. And then there were two. Right? And then there were four. And then there were seven-something billion. Huh? Uh, everything. Somebody say everything. Everything God does now is on this basis and by this principle. The church itself is the harvest of the seed Jesus. God the Father sowed his best seed to get us. And that's what Phyllis was talking about earlier. Would God pay that kind of price for junk? No. The price he paid for you and I shows our value. And the devil's a liar. He's jealous. He's envious. He can never be what we are. We are the children of the living God. He's a fallen angel. Created be. He, he can never be what we are. But uh, it, it all came about. You know, Jesus even said that unless a seed fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. He's talking about himself. And he was, he did die. He was buried and planted. And he rose again. And he's producing some awesome fruit. Hallelujah. Awesome fruit. Well, um, God is the God of increase. And he does this by the seed. Psalm 115, 12. Psalm 115, 12 says, The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. Does the Lord ever think about us? Scripture says so. What's he thinking about? How to bless you. How to bless you. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. And the list doesn't stop. Keep going. He will bless them that fear the Lord. Now this is a very significant phrase. 
this phrase, fear the Lord. It has to do with a reverence which has to do with valuing and honor. And yes, even fear. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God as an enemy. Thank God we're not enemy. Right? Come on, somebody say, I'm not enemy. I'm family. <laughs> right? Now, if you're enemy, you ought to be afraid. You ought to be very afraid. Anybody that can create stars, you do not want to experience their wrath. Is that right? And thank God, we won't. We've been delivered from the wrath of God. Jesus having taken our place. And, and the wrath and judgment fell on him instead of us. Oh, thank God. But he will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. It doesn't matter your background, your lineage, your heritage, or any of that. Do you fear the Lord? Do you reverence him? Do you respect him? Do you honor him? This is a very big deal. You know, we we could have put a lot of things up over the top of the uh, platform here. And you see what we put. Those that what? Honor Honor him. What will happen? Will there be any results of that? He said, you honor him. He will honor you. Do you suppose that's a great thing if the creator of the universe honors you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes is the answer. He said, uh, he will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you. He's the God of increase. And he, when he says you, he's referring back to that previous verse, those that fear him. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Not just a one-time increase or a three-time increase. But this is something that just keeps going. More and more. And this is one of the most astounding things. That you can't really wrap your mortal inclined mind around God doesn't run out he doesn't run out everything we have to do with runs out down here in this material realm that's been affected by the curse and death the scripture says in Ephesians that throughout the ages to come He's going to reveal and show to us the exceeding riches of His grace. How long? The word age is eons. Eons to come. How long is that? You've got no foggy clue. (laughs) It's not a thousand years. It's not a million years. 
ages to come. What does that mean? He's going to, throughout the ages to come, continue to show us the exceeding riches of his grace. What a giver he is. So a hundred thousand years from now, God will say to us, are you having fun? <laughs> are, are you enjoying it? We'll go, oh, God, oh, God, you are so awesome. He said, he said let me show you this. <laughs> and he'll, he'll, he'll unfold something to us, and all of us will go, ooh, ah, wow. <laughs> And another 50,000 years later, when you think there ain't no way it could get any better than that, he'll say, are you enjoying all this? We go, oh, God, oh, God. He'll say, look at this, look at this. And he will unfold something else to us, and we'll all go, ooh, ah, wow. (laughs) That's what you got to look forward to. Throughout the eons to come. And there's never going to be God sowing. Well, that's all, folks. There's never going to. That is never going to happen. Never going to happen. Or God said, well, that's it. That's it. I'm out. Never. Never. There will always be more. And that's that's challenge for your mind to grasp. But you can believe it. Even if you don't understand it. So uh, the Lord will increase you more and more, you and your children. You are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. Go to Matthew, please, the 26th chapter. Now, we, uh, we got into this some last week. And uh, what I see, this boy, this series is really developing on me. Man, it's expanding on me. Yeah. Uh, Phyllis asked me yesterday, I'd been in the office for a while, and I came out, and she said, uh, oh, you, you got something? I said, I said, I think I got five somethings. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad that, you know, we get to come back and do it again and do it again. But um, what I'm seeing already about God being the God of increase, he doesn't change. And there is no failure on his part. And there is no restriction or limitation. Well, then if he is the almighty God and his will is always increase in abundance, why are so many of his people in lack? Huh? If it's his will, if it's his plan, if it's his character and nature, why? And what the Lord's been ministering to, and I saw we already started on it uh, last week. There are enemies of increase. I said there are enemies of increase. Even though that is God, He's the God of increase. His will is always increase in abundance for everybody. Always. But there is an enemy. There's a devil. And he will not just sit by on the side and watch you prosper beyond imagination and fund the kingdom of God and bless other people without trying to stop you, without trying to trick you, 
The John 10.10 10 says, you know, the, the Lord said, I am come that you might have, and Amplified says, have and enjoy life to the full until it overflows. But the devil has come, he said, to steal and to kill and destroy. And so when you see believers in lack, you're seeing stealing. You're seeing stealing and destruction. Those kind of things. You're seeing the enemy's work. And the thing that that has to happen is that we have to be enlightened as to the enemy's devices. Because he doesn't come openly. He comes as a trickster. He's subtle. He's crafty. And millions are tricked about these things. And especially about money and material things. The devil wants control of all the money. He doesn't want the church to have any. He wants every believer to be broke, starving. And he wants every church to not even be able to find a place to meet in. Because, you know, lack of finances can choke a work. A lot. I mean, since uh, the the COVID pandemic, a lot of churches have closed their doors. A lot of ministries have left their buildings. They lack of money, lack of funds. Is that God's will, or is it His will that the gospel be preached all over the world? And is He building His church or downsizing? He's building His church. That takes resources. It's the enemy who wants you broke, not God. Come on, say it out loud. God wants to prosper me. He actually takes pleasure in my prosperity. I'm quoting a verse. Who wants you broke? Who wants you broke? Say it out loud. It's the enemy who wants me in lack, who wants me broke. But I am not ignorant of his devices. The truth of God's word does set me free. Amen. 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 So be it. And the more you see, the more free you be. You'll be. Are you okay? Uh Go please. Matthew 26. Did you find it? We, we studied the case in John. And this is also recorded here in Matthew. It's also recorded in, in Mark 14. Luke doesn't say as much about it. Of the right before Jesus went to the cross. This meal that he had with his friends. With Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Simon and the disciples and different ones. And how that Mary, we know John's the only one that calls her name. Mary had this heirloom box of ointment spikenard that she broke and, and put on Jesus. In Matthew 26, let's read Matthew's account today. Matthew 26 
It says, verse 1, it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Did you hear the word crucified? And he knew he was going to be betrayed and he knew who it was. Now, he's not operating in omniscience as God. He's operating as a man, but he knew all these things because he walked in perfect communion with the Father. And he had the gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit operating in his life. And by word of knowledge, he knew these things. And uh, he saw them in the prophecies about himself, in the writings of the prophets, places like Isaiah 53 and the Psalms and others. So he had talked to them in detail about what was going to happen. He was going to be uh, judged and, and his justice was going to be taken away. And he was going to be uh, uh, mocked and spit on and, and crucified. He used that word, crucified. But going to be raised up the third day. And he was going to be betrayed. Verse 3. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety. So these are the religious leaders of the nation. And the word subtlety, the same word that's used concerning the devil himself, is used concerning them. They are being completely influenced by the devil. And they are the priests and preachers of their day. Sad, isn't it? They consulted that they might take Jesus by subtly, subtlety, craftily, sneakily, and do what? Kill him. So they've already made up their mind. Jesus has to go. They've already made up their mind. They're killing him. They just hadn't figured out how. Right, right. You know, the religion of man is the meanest thing on the planet. I'm telling you, uh, un, you know, ungodly religions, religion of man, it'll hurt you, it'll shun you, it'll judge you, it'll kill you, and give you scriptures why it's okay. Having nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. But religious. So uh, they said, uh, verse 5, but not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Because the people loved them some Jesus. They loved Jesus. And uh, verse 6, now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper. Now all indications are that Simon used to be the leper. Elsewise they couldn't be meeting at his house, right? But, uh, and, and from all accounts, this house on this special night was filled with people that had been delivered and healed in Jesus' ministry. Amen. Including the star of the show, Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> who wasn't just healed, he was dead for days. <laughs> uh, 
And we know from John's account, uh, Lazarus' sisters were there, Mary and Martha. Keep reading. Uh, There came to him a woman, and we know it was Mary, having an alabaster box of very precious, or you could also say very expensive, ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, now we know from John's account, it was Judas Iscariot, who was the main outspoken one, but also the other, other of the twelve, I guess maybe the whole bunch, agreed with Judas about this and got pulled into this, which tells us how subtle and how dangerous of a thought it is. Said uh, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? Now, the word indignation is a strong word. If you're indignant over something, you are not mildly concerned. You are ups. The, the word means to be uh, pained. To be angry, to be upset. And here's something you need to know. You don't get upset over things you don't care about. Hmm? So what's the problem here? What's the big deal? Indignant. Indignant. They're mad, upset. It it comes with a a self-righteous thing and a holier-than-thou thing. See, all at once, they got spiritual. And like, oh, oh, oh. What we could have done with this money. But we read in John last week, That Judas said that, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He was a thief and carried the bag. So, this indignation, it wasn't about Mary. It wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about the box of ointment. And it wasn't about the poor. Tell me what it was about. It was about that money. It was about that money and it wasn't about the poor. He was being a hypocrite saying he cared about the poor. Do you know what you do if you really care about helping people in need? You do something for them. You don't go around judging what other people are doing or not doing. If you really care about people in need, you get to doing something about it. Amen. And people say, oh yeah, but I, I'm not a preacher. I'm, I'm, I'm not a... Well, you either practice what you say you believe or you don't. Amen. If you say somebody else should do it, you should do it too or you're a hypocrite. This, this stuff is from the pit. 
It's from the enemy. You're going to see it more clearly as we go. And here's something that's a, it's a really sad thing to say. But I think more of the modern church is in agreement with Judas on this than they are with Jesus. And that ought not be. I said that ought not be. But it is. Have you ever heard people get indignant? About, I can't believe. Did you hear how much they spent on that? Did you hear this? Did you hear that? Do you know what they could have done? With that? Mary's gift. Mary's gift. Mary's gift. It didn't feed anybody. It didn't clothe anybody. It didn't shelter anybody. It didn't send any missionary. It didn't help build any church. And Jesus said, it's a good work. Did he say it or not? He said, it's a good work. It's a good work. Well, what did it do? If, how many believe, if Jesus said it's a good work, that's all you need to know. Is that right? It's a good work. If you got some other idea, hush. Till you get enlightened. But what did it do? It it honored God. Come on, can you see this? Yes. The Bible talks about double honor. It was double honor. It honored God. It expressed thanksgiving. Right? Gratitude for what her and her family had experienced through the kindness of God, through Jesus' ministry. And it ministered to Jesus. Oh, somebody say hallelujah. It, it ministered to him. Didn't it? That alone is more than enough reason to spend all the money in the world. Is that right? It meant Jesus is hours away from the cross. Hours away. Hours away from sweat and blood. And this is a moment of kindness. A moment of fellowship with people that love you. People that care about you. People that think you're the greatest thing around. Is that right? And it was demonstrated in this act of her taking perhaps the most expensive, nicest thing she had and anointing him with it. It ministered to him. Keep reading. They had indignation. They said, to what purpose is this waste? They called it waste. Jesus called it a good work. Do you see what a disparity there is? And now, now, who called it waste? Judas and, and the 12 apostles. But they were wrong. They were really wrong. And you get that same thing today. You got preachers, priests, denominations, groups, their death on anything nice. And a lot of them, though, are hiding nice things they have themselves. 
hiding it. Mm. We ought to practice what you preach. Amen. If poverty really pleases God, then let's get poor. <laughs> I mean, come on, quit playing with it. Let's, right? But see, people don't believe, the only place they believe that's in church. And they leave and try to make all the money they can. Try to step up to better stuff and better play. Well, you don't, you don't believe what you say you believe. Just a religious notion. Same thing with being sick. If you really believe that that disease is God's will, you, you should not dare go to the doctor and try to get rid of it. Try to get out of the will of God. Right? See, people don't really believe this stuff. Just in church when they're confused. <laughs> and they've got a lot of help. They've got a lot of help. Often from the pulpit. Confusing them. No, you should use every weapon at your disposal to fight that disease. Is that right? Spiritual and natural. Live and not die. Is that right? And you should fight with every weapon poverty and lack. You should fight it. It's not the will of God. It's part of the curse that Jesus redeemed us from. (laughs) And I don't care who don't like it. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to live it. Huh? People say, well, hey, I've heard people, you know, say unkind things about me. And he preaches that prosperity gospel. Well, it ain't a poverty gospel. Poverty's not good news. And the gospel's good news. <laughs> like Brother Hagin, my father in the faith said, I, I've been criticized by experts. These little spurts don't bother me. <laughs> Keep reading. Uh, they said this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, if you read Mark's account it's, and, and John's account, it gives you a figure. 300 pence. Now, I'm going to use some numbers the next few minutes. Can you can you handle it, everybody? I'm not going to make you do the math, but just um, already did it for you. So, But there are a couple of things you should keep in mind. This is one of them. They valued this at some 300 pence. Now, pence had to do with about a day's wage for even a skilled laborer. And so that's why you come up with the figure. See, uh, 300 is, is almost a year's worth. Amen. Is that right? A pay. And this could be somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, depending on a lot of variables. You also got to remember back then what 30000 could buy. Amen. Everything's relative, but... Somewhere around $30,000, we'll say. I think that's conservative, but it's a substantial amount. Had to be a substantial amount, they wouldn't have carried on the way they did. And uh, they said it, it could have been given to the poor. You know, that's despicable. Isn't it? 
could have been given to the poor. That makes you want to slap somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> but I said it makes you. To be such a lying hypocrite. Bring up the poor. You could, you could help the poor. Well, it's not like Jesus hadn't done something for the poor already. Right. On a regular basis they were given to people in need. Right? And I've already said, this is what business it is, is it of yours that Mary wants to give a big offering to Jesus? Right. What's it? Ta- it's, it's not taking money out of your pocket. No. It never was yours. Right. It's hers. Right. Why can't she do what she wants to do with it? And that's why Jesus said, leave her alone. Amen. Leave her alone. Yes. Keep, keep going. When Jesus understood it, that they were indignant and saying this among themselves, he said, why trouble the woman? She has wrought a good work on me. For the poor, you, you have the poor always with you. And the other account says, and whenever you want to, you could do something for them. But me, you have not always. Some people say, well, yeah, well, see, that was Jesus, though. Yeah, but he's our example. He told us to do what he does. And if he had been against things like this, this was the perfect ex- opportunity, is that right? Yeah. To make it clear to everybody. If, like some people claim he is, he would have stopped her and said, No, no, dear, haven't I taught y'all better than this? No, go give that to the poor. Couldn't he have said that if he wanted to? And couldn't he have said, couldn't he have turned it around and said, you know, preachers, you'll have with you always. And you can do something for them if you want to. But the big thing is to help the poor. Now, see, that's how most people believe. But that's contrary to, that's backwards. That's how messed up much of the church is. It's backwards of what Jesus actually said, which is why I said I think probably more of the modern church is in agreement with Judas on these things than they are with Jesus. And that that shows ignorance of the word. And what actually what it is, is the word has been replaced with religious tradition. The religious tradition has made of none effect. The Word of God. And it's really something because you can get blinded by this stuff and read this and read right over it and not even see it because you've already made up your mind about something else. Say it out loud. Pray this out loud. Father God, God, open my eyes eyes to see see. not what I think you said, not not somebody else's opinion about what you said but what you actually said open my eyes to see you and only you I ask it in Jesus name Amen the answer to that prayer is life changing life changing keep going he said, you have the poor always with you, but me, you have not. And she's poured this ointment on my body. She did it for my burial. I don't know that she realized that, but he said, I say to you, verily, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, including 2023 in Sarasota and Branson. Huh? 
this also that this woman has done will be told for a memorial of her. Not how she helped the poor. Do we need mind manure? This didn't feed anybody. Didn't clothe anybody. Didn't shelter anybody. Didn't send any missionary. Didn't build a church. And Jesus called it a good work. Tell me who's right about all these things. Jesus is right. Jesus is right. Now, verse 14. Folks sometimes stop reading there, and that's a mistake. That's not the end of the story. Then, one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. And he said to them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him to you. And they covenanted with him. That's a strong word. For 30 pieces of silver. See, there's no separation in this story. The one who said it with indignation. What a waste. What a waste. This is crazy. Just blowing this $30,000 on Jesus like this. This could have been sold. And do you know how many poor people we could have helped with this? Immediately does this. Does this. Nobody, they didn't contact Judas. He went to them. He went to them. And he said, he, he approached them and said, how much would you give me? It's his idea. How much will you give me? And I will, I'll set him up for you. I'll turn him over to you. Now, learn something. When people are so self-righteous, adamant about what a waste that should have been done for this. You don't, you don't get worked up over something you don't care about. What, are, what is he worked up over? Not Mary, not Jesus, not the poor. The money. The money. People who talk like that will sell you out. They will lie for money. They'll steal. They'll misrepresent. They'll betray you. And what we're seeing, this this enemy of increase, this is one of the first ones we're looking at now, is dishonor. Dishonor. Which the word honor means value. And if you let dishonor get a hold of you, it'll rob you of the increase God wants for you. Enemy of increase. Dishonor. Well, for one thing, God didn't say those that dishonor me, I'll honor. And part of his honoring you is in the increase. And that's going to be the result of you doing what? Honoring him or valuing him, esteeming him. All of these words are interchangeable. How much did Mary value Jesus? 
300 pence might have been the biggest thing she had. $30,000. When Judas went to uh, talk to them, they agreed on a value for Jesus. 30. Not 300. Go with me to uh, Zechariah. Hold your place there in Matthew. Go to Zechariah. I hope you're not sleeping. We're getting free from lies, deceptions, misunderstandings. We're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. We're not going to let him play us about this stuff. We're not going to let, we're not going to let people shame us for things they never intend to do themselves. Right? Zechariah 11. They'll put it on the screen for us. Now this is this is something. Zechariah 11 verse 12. This is this is kind of in, in just in the middle of a number of things here in this writing of Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophet. He's a man of God. And the word of the Lord came to him and told him to do this. And one of the ministries of the prophets is similitudes. Acting something out that portrays something coming. And the Lord told him to do this. So he went to the people who were backslid, the leaders. He said, if you think good, give me my price. We might say, if you, if you want to, pay me what you think I'm worth. And if not, don't. So, they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Now, one thing you need to understand about these pieces of silver, what research I've been able to do on it, the, um, the one that was likely in use at the temple was 14 grams. That's less than half an ounce. So it was 30, these are small coins, not, not big pieces. This is, this is not big bags of money. Little piece of silver, less than half ounce, 30 of them. And at basically $25 an ounce, I think silver is going for now. Here in this passage, it talks about 12 ounces. I think the figure is somewhere between 12 and 15, maybe. Current dollar amount, three to four hundred dollars. Three hundred to four hundred dollars. Now, granted, um, you could it had more purchasing power back there then, but we know what they bought with it. They bought the potter's field, not a farm, not a spread, not a ranch, a field, and it wasn't a nice one. It wasn't a prime piece of property. They made it a cemetery for people that had nowhere else to be buried. And that, that, that stands reasonable that you could buy something like that for $300 back then, just a field.
How much was Mary's gift? 30,000. And how much did uh, Judas and the religious leaders, what figure did they settle on? 300. 300 bucks is what Jesus was worth. 300 bucks. This is what this is about. It's about value. What you value. And what you don't. And this this account of the alabaster box of ointment and Judas' indignation, it is a sharp contrast between somebody who values Jesus and the Word and God above life. I think if she'd have had a $3 million box, she'd have broke that one. Anybody know what I'm saying? And a contrast with somebody who thinks Jesus is not worth 400 bucks. Sell him out. Betray him. And he's the one that was vocal about should have been doing more for the poor. Which tells you what spirit this stuff is of. And the next verse says, They weighed him the thirty pieces of silver, and then the Lord said to him, said to me, Cast it to the potter. This is centuries before Jesus went to the cross. Throw it to the potter, a goodly price that I was prized of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and I cast it to the potter in the house of the Lord. This And the hundreds of other prophecies like them should let you know this is no ordinary book. Hmm? Foretold with such clarity, such detail. How could anybody know centuries and centuries before it happened? Where, when, how, how much? Listen to the complete Jewish Bible. Verse 12, I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. So they weighed out my wages, 30 shekels. And the complete Jewish says, that is 12 ounces. They call it 12 ounces. Concerning that princely sum that they valued me. 300 bucks is what the Messiah is worth to them. And Adonai said, throw it in the treasury. That's what he thought of it. Here's how much you're worth. He said, throw that away. Throw it in there. So I took it and I threw them into treasure. You know, I don't know who was in there, but all at once, bing, 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 bing. They're like, whoa. <laughs> Somebody's throwing money in there. But it was, it was because the Lord was, he despised. They're despising him. Which is exactly what that scripture says. You know, those that uh, despise me will be lightly esteemed. Ever how you value him is how you're going to be treated. And how your things are going to be treated. Easy to read says, so they paid me 30 pieces of silver and the Lord told me, so that's how much they think I'm worth. Throw that large amount of money into the temple treasury. The message says... 
They paid me an insulting sum. Counting out the 30 coins. Just to talk about even in Jesus' time. You remember in the book of Acts when a bunch of people got saved and it said they all brought their books that they had, you know, occult books and every other thing, and they had a big bonfire out in the street. They said those books were worth 50,000 pieces of silver. And this is current money, current time. 50,000. And why did they burn $50,000 worth of books? Because they said, this junk, it is not worth anything. Let's burn it. We value Jesus. We value God. We value salvation. Is that right? And that's what's going on throughout the whole planet. You got people who don't value Jesus at all. They think he's nothing. They may call him a myth. And that's how you know they're lost. People who despise Jesus are lost. I don't care what religion they adhere to. Either the Bible is true or it's not. But you show me somebody that's genuinely born again, they don't despise Jesus. They respect Jesus. They value Jesus. And people that really love him, there is no price too high. There's no job too far. Is that right? They will spend and be spent and be glad to do it. Is that right? Why? Because he and his things and his people and his gospel are worth so much more than any amount of money could ever be. The problem with that thing is they valued the money way too much and they didn't value Jesus nearly enough. And it's proof because he turns right around and sells him out for $300. Go back to uh, Matthew. Y'all okay? See, this is why... um, Cain killed Abel. This is why the first murder on the earth occurred. Why? Well, it was offering time. Offering time. And what happened? Cain just brought something. And you could tell it wasn't accepted. God didn't accept it. But uh, Abel... Brought fluffy. Is that right? Huh? Fluffy. Fluffy. Fluffy done won three ribbons at the fair. <laughs> fluffy made the front cover of Sheep Monthly. <laughs> Fluffy's the best he had. The best he had, and nobody asked him for it. Nobody told him, just like Jesus did not ask Mary for that box of ointment. That's right. That's right. And if you got preachers asking you to give your box of ointment, you need to uh, not do it. Are you listening? Yeah. You got preachers saying, well, you need to go home and get the most expensive thing you have, and you need to come. Because... No, no, no. Jesus did not ask for this. He did not ask for that. Amen. And the scripture says, don't give grudgingly or out of necessity. Right? 
But you got to give gladly, Amen. willingly, because you want to, or it's not acceptable to God. Cheerfully, happy about it. How many think Mary was happy about that? Yeah, till these disciples started making a fuss. She probably felt pretty good when Jesus said, leave her alone. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure they backed off with, okay, all right. Leave her alone. It's not a waste. It's a good work. Hallelujah. Why? What you got is people who don't understand honor. They don't understand it. And they care way too much about money. That's why they get so upset about money. You don't get upset about something you don't care about. Are you all okay? I tell you, before you go back to that, go to Isaiah. Because this is another prophecy beside the one in Zechariah that fulfills this, or, or excuse me, that portrays this, foretells this so accurately. Because what Judas was a part of was much bigger than Judas. It was what the chief priests did. It was what the elders of the Jews did. You do not plan to murder an innocent man that you value. They're treating him like he's nothing. And what did the Bible say? He came unto his own. And his own received him not. He is the, fir- the, the only begotten at that time, the Son of God. God made flesh. I mean, when he came to town, they should have gone all out. Everybody should have come. Is that right? Everybody should have been celebrating and praising. and But they didn't. And the elders... And the chief priest only saw him as a threat. And they finally decided he's got to go. He's too popular. His crowds are too big. And they killed him. Didn't know it. But he let them kill him. (laughs) Fulfilling all of these prophecies. Because you and I were lost without it. Yeah, somebody say, thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Isaiah 53, 3. Or or verse 1. Let's start at verse 1. Verse 1, 53, 1. Who has believed our report? Not everybody. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? See part A. The ones that believe the report. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) Verse 2. He'll grow up before him as a tender plant. Now, this is talking about Jesus growing up as a a boy. As a root out of a dry ground, he has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. How do you crucify somebody who's more beautiful than any human being that you've ever seen before? Or who has a halo? Jesus didn't, didn't have a halo. People met Jesus on the street and no big deal. And there were a lot of people that, that even heard him speak and still went away and said, nah, he's a counterfeit. He's this and that. Isn't that something? But it gets a lot worse than that. 
Verse 3. He was what? Despised. Despised. Now let's just stop with that word. That is the opposite word of honor. That is the total opposite end. Now despise is not the same as disgusted. That's not the same. Despise means to belittle, to demean, to treat it like it's nothing. Honor is the opposite. Honor is to treat it like it's important, like it's valuable, like it's precious, like it's a big deal. He is despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He says it again. He was what? Despised. And we what? Now see, esteem is that same root word, estimate. This is about valuing. How much do you value him? That's what the whole world is going to be judged by. Did you reject Jesus, treat him like he's nothing? Or did you receive him and honor him as Lord? Can you see? This is what's determining the outcome in eternity of all the billions of human beings that will ever live on the planet. This one thing right here. What do you think about Jesus? So when people make mocking remarks and blasphemous remarks, you know immediately they're lost. If something doesn't change, they will not go to heaven. People don't like that. But if the Bible is true, then this is true. If you have really been born again, especially if you have grown some in God, you love him. I said you love him. You love him above life itself. Am I telling the truth? See, I'm I'm seeing knowing looks all over the crowd. Why? Because your your, your heart bears witness with it. Right? Right? You love. love. You love Jesus, which means you count him precious, valuable. He's everything to us. And so when you hear people mocking him, making fun of him, acting like he was just a man that died and that's the end of it, you know they're lost. It's not something to get mad about. It's something you, you're like, whoa, that's sad. Man, if that doesn't change, they're not going to heaven. And one of the things we can do, instead of trying to preach and shove something down somebody's throat, we should always be exhibiting honor for God. Is that right? How we talk about Him, how we treat His things, His people, His Word, His Spirit, that's a big part of our witness. And you don't have to get... Huffy and all this, you just you just know who you are. And you know what's precious and valuable. Amen. Right? Amen. And you don't try to correct everybody, but you don't mince words. And when you say something about it, they know. This is really important to you. And you're not going to change. 
And if they want to make fun of Jesus, they're going to have to go somewhere else. (laughs) He was despised. The Amplified says, he was despised. We did not appreciate his worth or have any esteem for him. The BBE says, he was looked down on and we put no value on him. God's word says, we didn't consider him to be worth anything. Now here's something to consider. How do you spend years traveling with Jesus, eat with him, travel with him, be in services and campaigns with him, and and hear the astounding revelation coming out, and see the healings, and the deliverances, and the miracles, and even signs and wonders And storms calmed. And the dead raised. And after all that. Decide. It's not worth anything. And you just want some money. To go start a different life. How did that happen? Now one thing you don't want to say is. I could never do that. You're already half deceived if you say that. You don't have to do that. But it could happen to you if you listen to the wrong things. This didn't happen in a week. But over in the beginning, Jesus would not have chosen Judas to be one of the twelve if there wasn't something some good qualities in him and he didn't have a hunger and desire for these things and Jesus didn't do it randomly he prayed all night the night before before he did that and he's doing it by the direction of the father and gotta be that in the beginning days Judas was just as excited about what was going on as Peter and John and anybody else but one thing you can see is that all of them thought he was going to set up the kingdom of God now in their lifetime. And so so Jesus talked so much about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's something actually we need to hear more about and talk more about. Uh, Most people don't even really know what it is. But the kingdom is the dominion where the king reigns. And has control. They were under the heel of Rome. Mm -hmm. And they were being crushed. By Roman oppression. And they knew that the prophecies talked about a Messiah who would come. A son of David. See the glory days of the kingdom of Israel and Judah. It was David. Is that right? And then Solomon, man, they were rich. They were powerful. Their enemies didn't dare bother them. And so everybody had, in, in, in the Israeli 
nation. Everybody had this, this desire, but it had been years and years and years and years of nothing but oppression. And so when they saw the miracles and they saw the signs and wonders, and Jesus is just continually talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, they thought, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we're getting out of this. We're getting out from under Rome, and Jesus is going to be the new king. Just remember, at one time, they came and tried to take him and make him a king. And that's one of the times when he slipped out. And it became such a thing that they began to argue, okay, well, who's going to be, you know, number two and three and four in charge in the kingdom? I mean, they had strife. They fought over it. And you remember that uh, uh, the the mother of two of them came to Jesus on the side, tried to get a jump on the other one. (laughs) Is that right? said, you know, would you appoint my sons, uh, number one and two, uh, after you? Can you see? So uh, Judas would have had this concept that man won't be long. I'll have a position of power. Is that right? Influence and resources in this kingdom. And then, though, as time went on, Jesus is talking about being crucified. He's talking about being sacrificed. He's talking about being killed. And they're like, you remember, Peter took him aside and said, no, 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 uh, Lord, that ain't the plan now. That ain't the plan. The plan is out with Rome, up with Israel. <laughs> we'll be in charge. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. And there came a point where Judas saw the writing on the wall that that that's not going to happen. And here's where your faith is tried the most. When things don't happen the way you had decided they would or so desired that they would and you don't understand why. That is when your faith is most severely tried. Now, strong faith will submit itself to God and say, I don't understand, but I'm with you. Whatever you say, and I believe you know what you're doing, and in the end, it's going to be good. But if you don't have strong faith, he decided, I need to bail before this thing comes apart. I need to get out of here. And try to get me some money out of the deal. He's a thief. See, when did he start stealing out of the bag? See, something, something happened to him. Come in, can you see this? See, he he began. Is it because Jesus mistreated him? No, no way. Because no Jesus lied to him and betrayed. No, no way. Jesus did not hurt him. Jesus told them what was going to happen. But he got to the place where he did this. Look with me again. Let's finish this in uh, Matthew 26. Have you got a couple more minutes? Because what we want to do also is take communion over this. And what do you mean by that? To, to make a new and fresh commitment that we're going to reverence God. We're going to value Him. And, his th- and what better way to do it than honoring the blood and the body, the very blood that sanctified us. In fact, let's just do it like this. I'll just summarize that. You go to Hebrews 10. And this will be more, more specific about the blood. What happened 
If you read the 27th chapter of Matthew, which I said I'm just going to summarize for you. After, you know, Judas led the guards to where he knew Jesus would be. And what they were looking for is a place to come take him where nobody was around. Where crowds wouldn't find out what was going on until it was too late. And that's what they paid Judas to do. And that's why he told them uh, they didn't even really know some of those guards and necessarily who to arrest. So um, that's why Judas says, well, I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. And that's the one. You grab him. And uh, he did that. Sad. Really sad. For $300. Now that's disgusting. Is that right? And later, I, I suspect he didn't really realize how far they meant to go and how quick. And next thing he knows, he sees they're going to kill him. They're going to crucify him. And so he comes back to the temple with the 30 pieces, 30 little. This is a pitiful song. $300. You know, it's always that way. The devil will try to help you get in your mind. Oh, yeah, you know, do whatever you got to do. Get that money, get that money. Because then, boy, your life's going to be great. And you realize that money is not going to change my life. It's, it's a lie. So he still got it. And he comes back and. He says to them, I'm not sure they see him standing there, you know, they don't care about him. He says, uh, I, I betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what's that to do with us? That's not our problem. You see to that. And so he takes the 30 pieces of silver and he throws it. Exactly. Like was prophesied all those hundred years ago. And that wasn't the end of it. They saw it laying there and he runs out. And, and right after that, you know, hung himself. Couldn't live with it. And they see the 30 little pieces of silver money laying on the floor. And, and they thought, well, what are we going to do with that? You know, that's blood money. We can't put that in. A, isn't that something? They're more scrupulous about the money. Then they are betraying innocent blood with Jesus. And somebody says, well, you know, we've been looking for a place to bury uh, strangers that's got no family. You know, they said they'd sell that, uh, the potter's field out there real cheap. I think that we could get that for $300. That's what we'll do with it. That's exactly what was prophesied all the way back. Now, we mentioned saved and lost. Are you in Hebrews 10? Closing with this, I think. Hebrews 10. Uh, let see if I can get this right here. 10.29, I think, is where, where it is. Well, verse, let's start with 26. If we sin willfully... After we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. There is not, there is salvation in no other name. There is no other sacrifice for sin than Jesus' blood. If you reject that, there's no salvation for you in anything else. 
That includes any other religion on the planet. You'll be lost if the Bible is true. I believe it is. Verse 27. The only thing you'd have to look forward to is a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. That's what we were talking about earlier. You should be afraid. You should be scared out of your mind to go to hell. And, you know, people make stupid jokes like, you know, I'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. Well, you ain't been there. I assure you, if you were there for 10 seconds and brought back, when you stopped screaming, you'd never make another joke about it again. There's nothing to joke about. It's the absence of everything good. No light, no life, no joy, no peace. And full of darkness and evil. Keep reading. Verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Keep going. Of how much sore punishment, worse punishment, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who has what? Trodden underfoot the Son of God. And has counted the blood. You see the word counted? That's that word esteemed, valued, or not valued. Counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. And has done despite or insulted the spirit of grace. Is it possible to be lost after you were born again? It is. It doesn't just happen because you made a mistake, but it's possible if you have enough knowledge and you come to the place where you, you decide, nah, I don't know what I was thinking, getting caught up in all that religious stuff. Jesus, if he, if he even existed, was just a man. Now, see, you're counting his blood not holy, just common. And the spirit of grace that so graciously drew you, woo you, saved you, you have directly insulted him. And you could, if you get to the place where you say, yeah, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I don't believe in all that. If he did live, he's just a man. He died. He's dead somewhere, you know. And you believe all that junk about, yeah, he probably had four or five wives and his, his, his you know, 20 sons and his... his uh, uh, grave is somewhere they just ain't found it yet or they moved his bones you are lost you're lost because you don't value the blood and you don't respect the spirit I for one and I'm talking to others like me I for one and we for many together we respect the precious Blood of the spotless Lamb of God, the only one who could ever pay the price. The only one that was valuable enough to redeem us. There was no other blood in all time and eternity that was precious enough to buy us. And He did it. And the Holy Spirit, precious Gracious Holy Spirit drew us. Let us know we were lost. Enlightened us to our need of salvation. And brought us into full salvation. 
We will love Him forever. We will respect Him forever and ever and ever because He is worthy. Worth it. Worthy. Woo! Worthy of all worship and praise and adoration and wisdom and strength and thanksgiving. Stand on your feet. Say, He's worthy. Worthy. Worthy is the Lord our God. Worthy. Worthy. Oh, somebody say, worthy, 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 worthy.